I'll tell you where one of our number was who is uh, here with us tonight. And, and I, for those of you who do not know this gentleman, um, I apologize uh, because you're, uh, you're, well, this, this family moved away from us last July, a uh, year ago, July, and we've missed him ever since. But right after they left us in July, we got a very disturbing and uh, alarming phone call that, um, that uh, Rusty McKinley had very serious cancer and was going to have to lose much of his stomach and esophagus and et cetera, and the, uh, the report was oh so horribly critical. That was a year ago today that he underwent surgery. I had lunch with Rusty today, and I asked Rusty to say two minutes to you. Rusty. Let's go find you. Have you ever wanted the opportunity to have the microphone with Jimmy here? <laughs> the chance to get even? What I came up to say was thank you. <laughs> thank you. The cards, the letters, the phone, and the prayers. I told you it was brother. The prayers, folks. You got us through. And we didn't have the strength. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh. It was so moving uh, for me to hear the, the whole story. Um, for those of you who don't know, Rusty's wife, Sherry, worked as our church secretary for, gosh, I don't know, four or five years. And, and we all just fell in love with her. And then they had to leave. And, and uh, he is... He's, the nation. He teaches uh, with Payne Weber uh, something, and his uh, building is right across the river from the World Trade Center. And uh, so, and I had lunch with him today, and I wanted him to be able to say thank you uh, as he did to me. Just wanted to mention these things. We uh, we have another four or five days to make your your uh, mind known in terms of nominations for the office of elder, and um, uh, Sunday will be the last day that we can take those. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them uh, to Romans chapter 5, and we'll return to our study of the book of Romans. I think we're done with verse 1, and we can move on to verse 2. Um, let me read the verse two, first two verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What I've been trying to say to you uh, about those verses is that what you are given in these verses is three results of having been justified by faith. Paul says, therefore, having been justified with faith, number one, we have peace with God. And we've spent uh, two or three weeks on this issue of peace with God. Not the peace of God, but peace with God. And the second benefit or the second result of justification by faith uh, is mentioned in verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight and see if we can get through that. Maybe, maybe even to the second half of verse 2. Um, I'm not sure. But through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now, guys, do you remember um, uh, a little bit of English uh, literature, not literature, English grammar? 
you had um, you had antecedents of pronouns, and you had um, prepositional phrases that uh, defi- or described uh, certain things or certain nouns and uh, pronouns, etc. Well, the the reason I start like that is because verse two starts with a preposition, through whom. Um, we also have access by faith into this grace. So it's important that you see uh, who is being modified here by this beginning of verse 2. Through through whom is, of course, referring to Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, that is in verse 1. So Paul is once again referencing something that Jesus Christ has made available to us um, because of his work. His, uh, his finished work. And I want you to notice the repetition of something. In verse 1, you will find, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. It's a preposition. The Greek little preposition is dia. And I'm not sure of this, but it seems like we get our English word via from the Greek preposition dia. It simply means through. And um, with those, that, that preposition, what you are uh, introduced to is the whole idea of the mediatorial role of Jesus Christ. We have peace through. We have access through. Uh, his mediatorial role, these benefits, these results of justification come directly through through Jesus Christ. Um, you have peace with God through Christ, and you have access by faith into this grace through Christ. Now, one of the things that I want to do is, um, I mean, I think people like to hear this stuff. I'm not particularly fond of saying it because it certainly is sectarian, um, and, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to promote a particular uh, cause of a sect. But I am trying to promote truth. And, um, and, and in that regard, uh, sometimes error needs to be addressed, uh, held by another uh, sect. And, ladies and gentlemen, this is a classic illustration of one. Um, I have, on, a, on a, one occasion at least, um, stood behind this little pulpit and discussed with you the... Um, the inappropriate, untruthful, very unfortunate emphasis on the role of Mary. Um, It has become even that which is known as Mariolatry. I'll tell you a story. Um, I, I, I... couldn't believe this, and I can't verify it uh, myself because I've never been there. I've never been to Rome, but if anyone would like to take me there, I'll be glad to go with you. But um, uh, a friend of mine was telling a story via uh, uh, tape that he had visited Rome, and um, they, uh, it was visiting a missionary friend who lived in Rome, and um, uh, the, the missionary who lived in Rome was showing him the sites that were not normally seen by your average tourist. I mean, you know, the average tourist goes this place, this place, and this place. And, um, but the, the missionary, because he lived there, was showing him the real sites uh, of Rome. And uh, there are, uh, according to this man and this missionary, four major churches in, in Rome. And one of them, of course, is uh, St. Peter's. 
<clears throat> and another church that he showed him um, uh, that uh, apparently tourists don't get to see much um, was unique in this regard. Uh, outside the church, there was a very, very large two or three story crucifix. You know what a crucifix is. It's the cross of Christ with, with Jesus impaled on it. Uh, Jesus was indeed impaled on this cross that stood outside the church. On the back of this cross, on the other side of this cross, guess who was hanging there? Mary. Roman Catholicism is very definitive in identifying her as a co-redemptrix. Now, gang, I, I find that absolutely hard to fathom. But, and, and trying to put the, the, the least controversial light on it, I can't imagine anybody saying that you've got to go through Mary to be saved. But why on the earth would you put her on a cross? But I have heard in my own two little auditory canals, I have heard people talk about if you're in terms of your prayer life, if you seek to gain access to the Father, you're going to have to go through Mary. Have you ever heard that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I would be less than faithful to the Scriptures than to not point out that our text makes very clear that we're talking about access here. And the access we're talking about that you and I possess as the result of justification by faith is an access that has been made available to us through, through, not Mary, but through, Jesus Christ and Him only. There is only one mediator between God and man, and um, His name is Jesus Christ. I want to read you a, a text out of Roman, excuse me, out of Ephesians chapter three, which which deals with this this uh, mediatorial role of Jesus Christ. It's, it just states it. Uh, let me read you two verses. I'm in Ephesians three eleven and twelve. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Now, guys, we are being told that the other or the second result of justification by faith or being justification by faith is that you and I have been put in a place uh, of all blessing. We have now moved into the presence of all grace. We have now gained access at some critical point when we exercise this modicum of faith, this mustard seed of faith. You and I cease to be outsiders and were brought inside. We have now access. And I would have you note that that having gained access is not a process. It is an act. You don't gain access 
by improving, placing yourself on some kind of self-help program by which you become better and better and thus you are allowed into the presence of God. No, ladies and gentlemen. This access that we now have, um, and I think a better word than access, one that several of the commentators uh, used instead of access, is, a, is the word introduction. We, through Christ, we have introduction by faith into this grace. We have been brought in, and now available to us is all grace. didn't happen in a process, it happened in an instant. Now, guys, um, that's easy enough to, to, um, to, to teach or to draw attention to. It doesn't take a, uh, much just, to just take a look at the words. But what does that mean? That is, what, um, what does it mean to an individual believer now that we have access by faith into this grace? Well, let me, let me, put, let me make one observation that it should influence, and it is this. Um, do you pray? <clears throat> do you pray like people who believe that you have access? Does your prayer life have a a verve to it, like people who believe that they are now having been grant, they have now been granted access? Um. I, I, I want to say one other thing in terms of what this would mean. I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that it is, it is this access that enables us to stand in the face of, of, of trial and problems and difficulty. Let me read you uh, a, a statement by, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. There it is. That new and living way is the same access we're talking about in Romans 5, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Okay, now that that's in place, now that that's done, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed. Is that the way you pray? Uh, drawing near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Do you pray like that? Well, perhaps one of the reasons that we don't pray like that is because we, uh, we haven't fully understood that because of what Christ has accomplished, we now have been given and granted access to all grace. That's, that's one of the things that justification by faith produces. And I want you to notice in terms of the language here, it says, in which we stand, through whom we have access by faith, in, the, in which we stand. There's, a, um, there's, there's room, I think, to translate this Greek word, foothold. That is, in which we now have a foothold. That is, uh, the, the idea is an idea of certainty. It's an idea of... Um, uh, fixedness or permanentness or being established. It, it's apply, it implies stability and security. That is, having gained access, I now stand. I'm not uh, 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 crawling in. I'm not um, uh, uh, shaky while I'm there. Having, uh, having Jesus as the one who is my Savior, I now stand. 
understand the idea of permanence uh, is, I think, also uh, being communicated by that word stand. And guys, um, again, I, I ran over this rather hurriedly. I want to go back. It, it is this idea that I think um, allows us to get through times of, of trial and difficulty, that we know that our voice is not that our voice is being heard and, and our voice is not ignored because through this mediatorial role of Christ we have access we have access to all grace now what I want to do in terms of uh, fully illustrating what is meant here I want to tell you a story and it's a story that I think you know but I what it what I think this story does is illustrate the whole idea of you and I having access do you know the story of Esther? Um, Esther is the last book <clears throat> before Job, before you, before you get to wisdom literature. Uh, it's the last book in the Old Testament before wisdom literature. And uh, Esther is a Jewish maiden who um, got to be queen in a very uh, 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 circumlocuitous way. Um, her husband, her, her, the king, uh, Ahasuerus, was having a party, and he wanted to show off his wife. And um, her name was Vashti, and Vashti uh, refused to show up and embarrass the socks off of King Ahasuerus. And so King Ahasuerus got his counselors together and said, "What am I going to do about a wife that won't uh, appear when I ask her to appear?" And his, his counselor said, well, listen, you're going to need to get rid of her and replace her with somebody else because if you let her get away with that, every woman in the kingdom is going to get some wrong ideas. And so um, he said, I think that's a good idea. And so he, they set up a beauty contest, and they got all the most beautiful girls in the kingdom, and they set them aside for a year and um, uh, did beauty treatments on them for a year. Um, I, I probably wisely should not address that. Um, but... Um, <laughs> for some, it takes longer than a year. <laughs> Just a joke. But anyway, uh, they give them all these things and make, uh, facials and body lotions and whatever they did. And so then they had this beauty contest, and uh, lo and behold, uh, King Harris picks Esther. But Esther is Jewish, and she was raised by her uncle Mordecai. Remember that? And then, Harris has one of the officials in his kingdom is a guy by the name of Haman. And Mordecai didn't, partic didn't particularly like Haman, and Haman didn't like Mordecai. And so he, he tricks the king into a deal where uh, he gets to kill all the Jews. And um, so Mordecai uh, gets the message back to his niece, who is now queen, uh, that she's going to have to deliver... Um, the Jewish nation. And Esther replies this. She says, wait a minute, Uncle Mordecai. You must not understand something. Do you not know that nobody gets access to the king unless the king calls for him? And if he doesn't hold out his golden scepter, then the only thing that happens, if you appear before the king, he didn't hold out that golden scepter, you get slaughtered. It's the end of you. 
Because you know what's here before the king? Nobody in this kingdom has any access to the king unless he says so. And, uh, and the big deal is the golden scepter. Man, you, he doesn't grab the golden scepter in your heads off in minutes. And so, I'm reading out of chapter 4. Um, after Esther has responded to her uncle like that. And, and Mordecai says this. <laughs> and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. That is, you think we're the only ones going to die. You're Jewish too. You're going to die too. Um, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. What a man, what a statement of faith. You may not do it, but God's going to deliver us. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And apparently, that question really reached into the heart of, um, of little Esther. Just think about it, Esther. Maybe the one reason that you were the queen is so that you could deliver us. And then Esther replies. Then Esther told them to reply to more. Okay. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, a night or day, my maids, and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now, the issue, ladies and gentlemen, in that story is access to the king. And, and that's, and to me, it perfectly illustrates what Paul is trying to say that you and I enjoy. Uh, in this story, in the book of Esther, if she doesn't get the golden scepter, she's a dead man, woman. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, as a result of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you all got it. You all got the golden scepter. Everybody here carries the golden scepter. You got it. The king has already extended it to you. You carry around the golden scepter. Which means you can enter his presence at any time. That's, that's what justification by faith has done, ladies and gentlemen. It has, in essence, stuck a golden scepter in your pocket. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this glory in which we stand. There ain't any budgetness. We have gained access. But before I leave this little portion of verse 2, um, let me say this too. He would be a fool. You would be a fool to try to go into the king's presence without that golden scepter. <laughs> That's against the law. Don't you dare. Don't you dare think that without the scepter, you can bop into the presence of the king any old time you get ready. And when you die, you'll be standing there uh, twisting and shouting with the rest of them. No, ladies and gentlemen, there is preparation. There is a, a needed requirement before you enter into the presence of the King of Kings. And what Paul is saying in verse 5 is, having been justified by faith, you got the scepter. <laughs> now, my dear brother and sister in Christ, for heaven's sake, pray like that.
like that. Pray like you really do have access. Um, uh, who was saying this? Oh, I think I know who it was, and I certainly don't want to tell you because he's a little off color. Jimmy Umloff. <laughs> this uh, Sunday morning when we were um, um, preparing for our concert, our uh, men's choir concert, which was, by the way, absolutely outstanding, I know you'll agree, um, isn't it fun to hear men sing? I mean, uh, now, I didn't say they were on key, uh, but just volume. We, we major in quantity, not quality. Uh, but it was, I mean, guys, <laughs> I shouldn't say this. And, and Billy, you can repeat me. I, but Bill Pickens Sr. was standing right there singing with me. Oh, I thought the church was going to fall down over my head. Uh, you know, all those men up there singing, it was just, it was great. But anyway... You know, um, we were practicing and, and singing, and, and Jimmy looked at us and said, Now, you can sing in a couple of ways. You can sing, um, All praise to Christ from grateful men forevermore. Amen. Amen. Or you can sing, All praise to Christ from grateful men forevermore. Now, you can pray. Father, give our president real wisdom in these terrible times that we that we are undergoing. Or, if you know that through Him you have access to all of this grace in which we stand, you can pray. Father, you must hear me. You must respond, O oh God. So, one of the things that I hope will be affected by this understanding of great grace is to know the next time you're on your knees, remember, there's a scepter in your pocket. And that means you're fully welcome. Okay, I hesitate to do this. We have nine minutes left, and we're going to jump right into the, the third one, and we're not going to finish it. And, um, but I get paid to keep you in here for, you know, until 7.45, and, and I don't want my pay cut. So um, let's look at the third benefit, and we'll, we'll have to come back and, um, and wrap it up uh, next week. There's a third thing that he mentions in verse 2. Um, uh, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And number three, uh, number three is not in there, of course, but uh, we have peace, we have access. And, and it's interesting, ladies and gentlemen, that we have peace. That's something that was kind of established in the past. And then uh, now we have access, which is this thing that allows us to develop a relationship and fellowship with the Father. And then he mentions something, he mentions something past, he's mentioned something present, and then he mentions something that is a future dimension, a future benefit, a future result of being justified by faith. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, guys, um, I, I don't know where how much to carve out of here, 
But one of the things that you and I, I, I tell you one, one of the things that we need to know, um, is the word hope. That's a pretty weak English word. That is, in terms of what um, uh, Paul is communicating, that's really, um, it's, it's an English word that has very little oomph to it, because for us it just kind of describes some kind of wishful thinking. Let me, let me just show you a couple of things about the word hope. Look at verse 5 of chapter 5. Um, now, hope does not disappoint. Now, guys, if I say, I hope I get to take my family to the fair, um, that may be a, uh, concluded by disappointment. But here it says, hope doesn't disappoint. My, my point is, the way we use the word hope and the way Paul is using that word hope differs. Let me show you a place. Look, uh, turn with me really, if you can find Psalm 131, I think. Um, yeah, Psalm 130 and 131. Let me just show you a, a couple of places where it's used. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I know what I'll do. And we'll be through here in eight minutes. Um, look at, I'm in Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I do hope. Now, what do you think the psalmist is saying there? Uh, read on with me. Look at um, uh, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. What do you think the psalmist is asking uh, his audience to do? Engage in some wishful thinking without any sense of certainty in the Lord. Now, see, that's what our word means. But hope, I mean, it's in verse 30, uh, Psalm 131 too, in verse 3. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. The way that the Bible uses the word hope is that it, there is a certainty to it. There's a fixedness to it. There's a conviction behind it. It's not a mere possibility. It is describing something that is certain. All right? That's the first thing. Uh, look at the words. Uh, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All it's describing is, I've got this hope that I know that all, all certainly or ultimately is going to be met. There's a, there's a conviction behind the word which is not behind our English word. All right? Now, what is his hope? What is that hope that he, that he says in the future is, is ours? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Um, guys, turn with me, if you will, to John 14. And I think with this we'll quit. <clears throat> John 14. <clears throat> this is a little dialogue that take, you know, it's, it's interesting. If I were to mention the name Thomas, there, um, everybody in this room who's ever studied his Bible knows something about Thomas, the apostle Thomas. We call him Doubting Tom, you know, the one that says, I'm not going to believe unless I stick. You know, that's the one in John 20 and he ultimately bows before the Savior. But there's another interesting little vignette in the life of uh, Thomas. And it's a dialogue that takes place between Thomas and Jesus in John 14. Um, <clears throat> uh, Jesus steps forward in this wonderful passage in John 14. And says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you uh, to myself, that, uh, that where I am there you may be also, and where I go to you. And Thomas, I'm in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, wait a minute. We do not where, know where you are going, and how can we know the way? 
And then Jesus replies in that statement that gets us, gets us Christians in a whole lot of trouble. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I have commentaries in my, um, in my um, library or books in my library and, which are entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus Christ. There is nothing harder than John 14.6. Now to those of us who are redeemed, it's a wonderful text, is it not? Um, but you do see what it is saying, do you not? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Ladies and gentlemen, the non-Christian world, the, the, uh, the intelligentsia, postmodernism doesn't hate us because we claim to know Jesus. They hate us because we claim that Jesus is the only way. If we will... By the way, did, did anybody see the prayer service at Yankee Stadium? You know, guys, um, all of us are hoping that this tragedy will end up in doing something wonderful. My hopes were pretty much dashed that day. Not an evangelical Christian on the whole platform. We had Sikhs, and we had uh, Hindus, and we had every who shot John in the world. Not one evangelical Christian. Not one was praying and, and, and I guess we were trying to communicate pluralism but ladies and gentlemen according to this text pluralism needs to be forgotten as a bad idea um, the, but that's really not my point um, uh, Jesus said yeah, I am the way the truth and the life and then comes to the body except through me and he goes on to say if you had known me and you would have known my father also and from now on you know him and have seen him now, here's, here's Thomas's, or, uh, or in, that, in that dialogue, Philip steps in and says, Lord, we have one request of you. There's one thing that has always been the hope of the Jew. Lord, um, you're talking about the way, the, and we're going to be with you. Here's what we really want. Lord, the grand hope of the Jew is could you show us the Father? If you do that, that's enough. Just show us the Father. And then Jesus replies, Philip, you nimwit. Don't you understand? How long have I been with you? And you still have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what on earth does that have to do with Romans 5, 2? The point is, what Jesus, what, what Philip is asking for here is what is in view in Romans 5, 2. The hope of the glory of God. That is, there is a, there is a glory beyond death that is fixed and certain and permanent for the justified by faith. We have peace. We have access to God. And there is a glory. The beatific vision when we all will be brought into the presence of God. The grand glorious hope of the people of God has always been show me the Father. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's coming. Because you've been justified by faith. We'll finish it up next week. Our Father, I, I do thank you for your word. I pray that uh, its handling of it has been done uh, accurately and uh, faithfully. It is a fearful thing, O oh God, to mislead the, the flock of God. O oh God, make me a mute. Make me dumb before I damage or harm your people. O oh God, by your Spirit, use the feeble brain that you stuck in my head to handle a, a passage of your word in such a way that your people can skip out of here tonight as they realize that having been justified by faith, there's peace, there's access, and there's glory awaiting us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.